Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill, and joining me is Joe Healy. He is back. If you missed last week's uh, preview episode, you didn't even know that Joe was gone, but Joe was out sick last uh, last Thursday. We welcome him back today, and we are here to talk about a very busy slate of college baseball in week four. Uh, conference play began for the ACC and the Pac-12, and it delivered a lot of exciting action in both of those two conferences number one texas is no longer number one the the preseason number one team lost a series at south carolina so we've got movement at the top of the baseball america top 25 for the first time this season we'll get into how south carolina bounced back uh, and won its series against texas and we'll break down the new number one team in the country that is notre dame we got a lot to get to today on the Baseball America College Podcast, and we're glad uh, that you're joining us today uh, as we record this Monday, March 14. Uh, you might be thinking hoops, uh, but Joe, I know what you're thinking, and that's Tom Brady not being retired anymore. <laughs> yeah, man, talk about, uh, yeah, he, so he retires, and this wasn't his doing, you know, in the first, part, but he, you know, the day he retires is also the day when former Dolphins coach Brian Flores sues the NFL, which was, uh, you know, arguably swallowed up the the news of Tom Brady's uh, officially, officially retiring. And then, yeah, on, on Selection Sunday, Tom Brady comes out. I saw somebody uh, comes out and says he's he's going to return. I saw somebody tweet that, uh, you know, Tom Brady had uh, one spring forward where he lost an hour of sleep with kids and decided that was enough of being home. Because <laughs> um, I know, I know that, uh, that spring forward can kind of be a rough day, especially when you when you have kids or even in my case, like a dog, you know, where it just kind of throws off your your whole schedule. So um, because you're, you're still keeping to a schedule. But uh, regardless, yeah, um, I, I I was surprised. I'm not surprised that Brady is back in the game. I think there were enough people out there saying that that I can't be surprised about it. I am a little surprised, though, that he didn't like get something out of it, like not having to show up for you know, camps in summer or waited a little longer or, um, you know, took, took it and took an entire year off. But that guy has talked way too much about wanting to play until he's like 48 or 50 for him to have stepped away as seemingly neatly as he did last year, where he's like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just done. So I'm not surprised in general, but I am surprised by the, the timing of it. Well, let's spring forward from that. Yeah. You like that transition, Joe? Hey-o. Let's spread forward into uh, into this this weekend that was in college baseball. Tom Brady can't overshadow everything. Um, That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The eyes of the nation were glued to college baseball instead of Tom Brady or 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 the selection show last night. Everyone was watching the end of Texas and South Carolina, which happened, I think, exclusively during the selection show, uh, which I watched none of as a result. So South Carolina hosting Texas last week in this this weekend um and the Gamecocks were reeling coming into this series they were swept last week uh by arch rival Clemson they then went out on Tuesday and lost to Xavier and that all seemed to take a lot of the shine off of this uh this series which was you know uh, on paper it should have been a pretty intriguing series like it should have been what we got uh, two pretty good teams going at it. We think South Carolina is a regional team, but the way that they were playing coming into this series was not great. Uh, having lost four in a row, it was supposed to start on Friday, bad weather in the Carolinas, just like there was bad weather 
pretty much everywhere east of the Rockies this weekend. So there's bad weather in the Carolinas. They pushed the start of the series to Saturday. Texas wins. South Carolina looked pretty good. Um, they got to Pete Hansen in a way that nobody really had gone to Pete Hansen yet, but it wasn't enough. Texas wins. They then are concluding the series with a doubleheader on Sunday. And South Carolina behind Will Sanders um, went out and won four to two in a seven inning scheduled seven inning game uh, for the, for the first game. And that sets up a big rubber game to, to finish this thing off. Texas to this point had not lost a series all season. And, you know, they uh, now they're, they're playing a, a rubber game for the first time, in fact, and they uh, they're doing it without Tanner Witt, who of course, was ruled out for the season on Thursday uh, as he'll undergo Tommy John surgery. So this was, this was a big, big moment. And for both teams, really, because South Carolina is also looking at this as a, a chance to really get a marquee series win and get some momentum going into SEC play. And that's exactly what they did. They, uh, their offense kept going. Uh, they win on, uh, on Sunday. They really kind of won going away. Texas, put some runs on late in the ninth inning that makes the final score look a little better, but it wasn't, wasn't really much of a comeback attempt uh, as, as it was just like a few runs in the ninth inning and, and Texas uh, loses a series for the first time this year and, and falls out of the number one spot in the top 25. But to me, Joe, I mean, the, the bigger thing here is that that South Carolina got off the mat uh, after losing five straight games and, and won this swept this double header it's kind of a wonky thing that it was just that they swept a double header we know that you know bad days happen in this sport but uh you know credit to south carolina for coming out and having its best day of the season against maybe you know the best team that it'll play it's certainly the best team it's played to this point and, and one of the best teams it'll play all year yeah, i think you're right that it is the story and those getaway day double headers can be even though you know Texas is staying out in the Carolinas, it's not a traditional getaway day. But um, those Sunday doubleheaders can really get wonky on teams, especially when you're dealing with a shortened game. And the first game in that doubleheader was seven innings. It seems like every year there's a team or two that kind of gets got on that type of doubleheader. And, and this time around, it it just happened to be Texas. And I think it's a it's a great point you make about South Carolina's regional hopes. I mean, sure they 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 were reeling. I totally agree with that assessment. Um, but this series was big, not just to get them back heading in that right direction, but you and I talked before the season about, you know, some of the small differences that can be made for teams to be either a regional team or not a regional team. And we talked about South Carolina and the fact that, that their schedule is, is fairly favorable in terms of the SEC draw they got. There's a lot of winnable series on that schedule, even if you don't necessarily 100% believe in the Gamecocks. They would, I think the key for them is just kind of flipping one or two series and hey, this isn't a conference series, obviously, although it soon will be. But they just flipped one by winning that series against Texas. So that series went alone, I think, uh, puts them back on track to being the postseason team that we think they can be if they kind of handle their business uh, in the series that I think they should handle in the SEC moving forward, knowing, of course, we know that nothing is necessarily easy in, in the SEC. But it was, it was huge. And for Texas, I think, it, well, I'll say it this way first. I think South Carolina was impressive offensively. The run totals don't necessarily, although, you know, nine runs in that in the finale, like they did have their moments. But they, they were pretty relentless against good pitching. It's not just that they 
they won a few a couple ugly games or they they won they happened to win two to one when their guy just outdid Texas. I mean, they really they got to Pete Hansen, they got to Tristan Stevens. Uh, they did a good Tristan job. Tristan Stevens had given up a run all season until Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they they got to Texas's good guys. I mean, even the loss against Pete Hansen, like they got to him. And so it was a really nice performance, I felt like, offensively for South Carolina. And then on the flip side, you know, you and I have stopped short of really calling Texas's offense a liability to this point in the season because the proof was in the pudding that they were doing enough. But this was a weekend where they got behind the eight ball in that doubleheader on, on Sunday, and their offense just wasn't quite able to get them out of it. They tried. There were a rally in both games, and it was way too late in the second game. But in the first game, they – Got a, you know, scored some runs late, got a couple guys on base in the last inning against Michael Braswell for South Carolina, and they just couldn't quite do enough. And so in this specific weekend, when they got behind, their offense was not quite able to make up the difference. Yeah, South Carolina is an intriguing team on the mound right now. They are really beat up. Julian Bosnick hasn't pitched this year. Uh, they have another uh, starter that is going to be out for the season as well. Uh, Will Sanders is a big time talent and you saw why on Sunday and, you know, he is a a first round talent next year, Um, but they, they, they're missing some some pieces, but they went out this weekend and, and they pitched really well against, I still think Texas can be a solid offense, but you're right. I mean, this weekend, it wasn't, it wasn't there for them. And it was the weekend that the pitching staff really needed to be there for them. And this time the, the Texas offense wasn't able to, to answer the bell there. Um, I, I do think you got to give credit to Will Sanders. You got to give credit to Matthew Becker, who was making his, his first start in the, the finale of that series. And who, he struck out 11 in, in six innings. So those two guys really, you know, carried the the torch for for South Carolina on Sunday. Did the bulk of the the heavy lifting on the mound, and then Michael Braswell, who's a freshman two way phenom right now for the Gamecocks, uh, came in and and got the save in the first game, and he has three saves and five scoreless appearances. You know, I don't want it like like that. That was Becker's first start. Like he's pitched well to this point out of the bullpen, but maybe those guys that maybe that's the core of something moving forward. You know, we'll have to see uh, how, how South Carolina works going forward, but they have an offense. This is a solid offensive team. And if they are able to find more depth on the mound or just have more weekends like this, where, you know, two, three guys can kind of carry the whole load uh, you know, it, it becomes a a pretty dangerous team. I I also think on, on the Gamecocks that this was, this was massive. Uh, like, like that can, that cannot be overstated. Not only do you go and you beat the, the preseason number one team in the country, the, the team that, uh, you know, had, had played like the number one team in the country as well for the, the first three weeks. But if they had lost this series, you know, they really were going to be looking at, they're, they're going to be looking at, at, at fighting back out of a, a pretty significant hole. Like they're swept by Clemson. They lose to Xavier if they lose one more game, if they lose one of those games on Sunday, they're looking at, you know, being uh, uh, one in six over the last, you know, seven games, obviously going into SEC play. Yeah, they play Gardner-Webb midweek and, you know, you figure that they can win that game. Uh, but, you know, just to start SEC play next weekend, they're at Tennessee and then Vanderbilt comes to, to Columbia. 
And if you're coming off of back-to-back series losses against Clemson and Texas, and then you're staring that in the face, uh, that's, uh, that's a really tough way to start SEC play. And it still is. But now you go into SEC play and you go into Knoxville knowing that, hey, we just beat the number one team in the country. Like, we can play with anyone. And like, that, that literally means we can play with anyone. We can beat anyone on any given day. It's a great point. I mean, because I mean, their SEC schedule is fairly front-loaded when you talk about starting with Tennessee and then Vanderbilt. Um, and then they get Missouri. Uh, it is on the road, but then they've got two more ranked teams in Georgia and Ole Miss right after that before they get to a period of time when they've got Auburn and Alabama and Texas A&M and Kentucky, which you all figure are winnable series for the Gamecocks. But had they not won this series and they go to Knoxville and then play Vanderbilt, there's, there's a chance by the time you get to that point of the schedule, you've taken on too much water. Um, so you're right that this this was this was huge. You um, <laughs> you mentioned Michael Braswell, who has just been electric um, offensively and then on the mound in shorter stints. But he reminds me a little bit when I watch him pitch. It reminds me a little bit of uh, when you were a kid and you were playing on a, a like a, a tournament team, a travel team, and you just had a kid who was just the best player on the team, and he pitched because he had a really good arm and was a really good athlete. And Braswell kind of reminds me of that, where it's like, he's a good pitcher, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to slight him, it's just that he looks like a position player pitching, and just happens to be really good at it. Like, the athleticism, like, jumps off, but he's also pitching with, like, dirty baseball pants, because he's been playing shortstop and hitting all game, and, like, it's not the most polished guy on the mound, but, like, you can just see the talent, like, oozing off of him. Um, Every time he, I've seen him pitch a few times now, and it seems like every time I flip it on, actually, because I'm coming in late in the game, like he seems like he's on the mound, but it just, it, it strikes me so much of like playing as a kid where you just, you throw the best guy you've got on the mound and you just, you hope that's enough. And, and so far for them, it has been in terms of, of him closing games, but he's, he's a guy who I just have a lot of fun watching. Like he, he's not alone in having changed a little bit, the complexion of the South Carolina offense, I think steps forward for a guy like Braylon Wimmer has been big, but you know, Brant Belk and Kevin Madden from the transfer portal have been huge as well to really change the face of this offense. But as a freshman, Braswell has, has gone a long way just in his own uh, to making this a little bit of a different team. Yeah. It, the way the so he is leading the team in hitting right now, and he's operating as, you know, a closer that has yet to allow a run in, in five appearances. Um, he's hitting 417, has a 527 on base. Like it, he is, he is maybe the most exciting thing happening. Uh at South Carolina right now. And like, that's saying something like, well, Sanders is really good. And Andrew Eister continues to like somehow come up in every single clutch situation and find a way to get big hits for South Carolina. Like there's, there's a lot to like about this team just from a pure viewing perspective, but, but Braswell is, is right at the top of the list for me on, uh, on Texas, Joe, this strikes me that this, this last week has been a really challenging week for Texas it was it's kind of the first time they really got hit by adversity. Well, it, it is the first time they got hit by adversity all season, to the best of my knowledge. I'm not in the clubhouse every day, obviously, but from the outside, this sure seems like the first first time adversity has come to Texas all season. It starts with them taking their first loss of the season last Sunday against UCLA at the Shriners College Classic and learning that day that Tanner Witt was getting scratched. Then they play Texas State on Tuesday and Wednesday 
and kind of just found themselves in a serious dogfight with Texas State, which is a good team. And, you know, it's a local, it's a team that, that's very close to Austin. I, it's not a local rival. Like, that's not the way to describe it. But Texas State is very motivated to go out and play well against Texas. And this year they have a team that was capable of doing it. And they wind up playing two really tight games against Texas State in the midweek and, you know, probably expended a whole lot more emotional energy than they ever would have wanted to or really expected to in midweek games, split the the midweek home and home and lose at Dish Falk. Then on Thursday, they find out that Tanner Witt, or at least it's publicly announced that Tanner Witt is, uh, is going to have Tommy John surgery and is out for the year. And then they go to South Carolina, get hit with bad weather. The series gets condensed. They get swept in a doubleheader, and now they have, you know, a losing weekend for the first time, and they've lost four of their last six games. Uh, you know, th- this is this is a big moment for them, I think, now. They're staying in South Carolina this week. They're playing College of Charleston and the Citadel on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they go home to play Incarnate Word. It's not a challenging week in terms of the opponents. But it is a test because this is a team that you know can't afford to let this spiral. I don't think they will, but they can't afford to let it spiral. They have to get right this week before Big 12 play starts in, in a week's time against Texas Tech. And you know th- this is a team that went through even worse than this last year. They started last year 0-3. They got swept in the State Farm showdown last year. And you know to, to start the season 0-3, even knowing that you lost to three really good teams, like psychologically that's a lot they were able to come back from that and win the big 12 and go to omaha and be one of the last four teams standing they know how to do this but they now have to do it this year they got they absolutely got punched this week probably multiple times you can say they got punched uh and now they have to show that they're gonna keep standing and and start punching back yeah that's right i mean it's it's a tricky week in a weird way because they're staying out on the road they kind of have to sit with it a little bit um, instead of, you know, getting back home and being able to reset. So they've got, you know, midweek games they should handle and then Incarnate Word this weekend back at home, which they they should handle as well. And it's, I, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to be looking this week to see how much they bounce back. Or, I mean, are you just winning those games? Because, I mean, they could play pretty sloppy baseball and probably still go 5-0 and this week. But are you are you just winning those games or are you making a statement with those games? And um, I'll be looking for them to do the latter. And, uh, yeah, I think they should be, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're thankful that they have this kind of week ahead of big 12 play because they do start off with a trip to Lubbock. And, and while the jury is still out on what exactly Texas tech is this weekend, they are playing better baseball. And there's no doubt about the fact that Lubbock is, is one of the toughest places to play in the country. So certainly they are, I'm sure thankful the Longhorns are to have this little week in between. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely watch that. We'll watch how Lucas Gordon progresses as a member of the rotation. There is a lot to watch right now with Texas. They fall to number four in the baseball America top 25 still think highly of them. They still have a really sound resume. Uh, this doesn't have to be more than a bad week. Uh, but again, like they, this is, this is the first time they're being challenged by adversity. How they bounce back is, uh, is the, the thing to watch here over the next week plus. Uh, all right, we're going to get into uh, the start of ACC play, the start of Pac-12 play, and the new number one team in the Baseball America Top 25 here in a minute. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, Joe, we talked about the team that was number one coming into the weekend. Let's uh, let's get to the team that is now number one. That is Notre Dame. Fighting Irish improved to 11-1 and on the season with a abbreviated sweep of North Carolina State this weekend. Uh, they went to Raleigh. They only played two games. They played Friday. It was raining pretty hard by the end of that game. Uh, they went in extra innings, 8-4, uh, to four, had to come back from a four-run deficit early. Uh, ultimately win eight to four and 12. They don't play Saturday. Um, most teams in that area didn't play on Saturday. They then only played a single game on Sunday uh, and Notre Dame won that. The final score looks really good for Notre Dame, uh, but the the reality was that was, a, they were in control the whole way. They never trailed, but it was the game got tight in the middle innings and then um, the NC State bullpen could not finish the deal and, and Notre Dame really took advantage of some sloppy play by, uh, by the Wolfpack late uh, to, to walk away with a very comfortable win um, 11 to four and Notre Dame. Now, well, they were number three. We gave a very serious debate um, between Notre Dame, Ole Miss and Oregon state for who should be the number one team in the country. Those are the top three teams now in the top 25. We settled on Notre Dame and uh, they are they are rolling again this season. Have to be impressed by the way the the Irish played not only this weekend but but all season long. Yeah, I think it was a a weekend for Notre Dame where you really kind of saw the you really kind of saw the uh, championship mentality for for lack of a better way of putting it and to use a cliche, especially in that first game where you know NC State got up on them quick and NC State's the type of team that can really snowball things on you. They're, they're a little bit like Tennessee. Sometimes we talked about Tennessee in this way earlier this season, where when things are going good, they're really going good. And 
uh, Notre Dame didn't let that happen. They, you know, the bullpen was excellent on Friday. The offense chipped away, chipped away, and then won it in extra innings. And, you know, kind of a similar deal to some degree on Sunday where it was, to your point, a tight game close. And then, oh, it's Notre Dame that's going to pull away in this game. Uh, we're not, they didn't let NC State pull away in that game. So a really solid weekend for them. A weird deal with Saturday, like, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into it, but just game was canceled like an hour before it was supposed to start. And like the weather was bad. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not debating that the weather was bad, but you know, Carolina and Pitt played like 15 minutes, 30 minutes down the road. Um, you know, so, and it wasn't pushed to Sunday and I guess travels is I'm sure a part of that, but, uh, cause it was going to be cold on Sunday. So it's not like you could really start at 9am probably, but um anyway just a a weird deal there and of course twitter being twitter there was in the comments there was finger pointing and assumptions being made and and all that kind of all that kind of jazz in a lot of ways it was reminiscent of last year in the acc frankly uh where there was some of this stuff going on with with cancellations and and all that jazz but um you know notre dame i think showed why we thought why we think as highly of them as we do um proved again the team they if any i mean at this point nobody should be doubting what they what they are and what they did last year, but this was the type of thing again, that shows that, Oh yeah, this is that same team. This is just a different program now um, to go out and do and do what they did. Even if NC state is a team that's still trying to figure it out a little bit. And yes, we did talk about Ole Miss and Oregon state. And I think really the debate ended up being between Oregon state and, and Notre Dame, because if you're, if you're basing it on resume, like Oregon state has, um, has some things there. They, they won a conference series on the road against Washington state. They've beaten Gonzaga a couple times this season. So on resume, they've, they've got some things going for them. Um, but we ultimately went with, Hey, let's keep these teams in the order. We had them in it's too early in the season necessarily to mess with that too much. And that's how we end up with Notre Dame, a deserving, uh, number one and a number one. It's funny how you, how quickly we get used to the current conditions in college baseball but the idea that you would tell me in 2022 that Notre Dame would be number one and we'd all just kind of like nod our head and be like, yep, okay. If you told me that in 2019, I would not have known what exactly to, to say because um, it is kind of amazing how quickly this turnaround has completely changed the complexion of the program. On NC State here, team we didn't really, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're focusing a lot on Notre Dame here, but NC State, the fall has been precipitous. Um over the last two weeks, Joe, I, I watched a fair amount of the series. I'm sure you did as well. Um, the thing that's really striking me right now is NC State is not fielding the ball. And, you know, we made a lot about how they turned over their lineup last year and how offensively, like, they sure looked like they were going to be fine. And early in the season, that bore itself out. And, like, they're still scoring a fair amount of runs, even in the skid. But what they're not doing is playing defense. Yeah, I mean, it was it was never going to be a defense as good as last year's. I mean, L.A. David has been pretty open about the fact that it's the best defensive team he's had. And that's saying something because that program fields the ball pretty well year to year. That's something you can really set your watch to. Uh, but you're right. It has been a stark difference. And I think some of that is that they've got so many bats that they've kind of had to. I think I think we may have talked about this a little bit at some point earlier this season, but they it strikes me that they have enough bats. They want to get in the lineup. They have had to move some guys around and it's not that those guys necessarily can't play the positions they're in. They're not asking like they don't necessarily have, let me put it this way. 
they don't necessarily have a Jacob Berry problem at LSU where it's like, okay, we know his bat has to be in there. So we're going to try him in places that like, we know he's not a great fit, but we just have to grin and bear it. But I think with state, they've got guys who are a little more equipped to do the job, but they may have some guys in positions that aren't necessarily the optimum places. Um, I'm not enough of a defensive guru to like tell you where that is necessarily, but it is a bat over field lineup generally, especially right now. The thing is though, like they, this program does field the ball pretty well year to year. So I, I do have some confidence that by the time the end of the season rolls around, it's going to be a little bit better, but I think it's clear at this point, it's just going to be nowhere near as clean a defensive team as the one we saw last season. Yeah. And I, I think that was kind of an underrated aspect of how good last year's team was that, you know, you could get distracted by, um, you know, how good the offense was and, and, you know, that the way that they did the, the, the heater they got on at the end of last season. But the, the fact is that they feel very, they fielded very consistently and that was something they could always rely on. And um, they don't have that this year right now. And uh, I, I definitely think that's a, that's a part of why they are where they are. And they're, they're going to really have to correct that. They got to correct. It's not just one aspect of this, but they, that is something that they're going to have to fix um, moving forward. Joe, we, uh, you mentioned how fast we adjust to new realities in, in college baseball and really just in general um, in sports. Notre Dame has not been do you know when the last time Notre Dame was was number one in the baseball America top 25 you know I actually I read this in off the bat this morning uh, which is a great feature that Teddy puts out every late Sunday night early Monday morning um but, so I know it's sometime in the 2001 season but had you had I not seen that I actually probably would have guessed that they had never been number one I knew they would have been close but I would have guessed that it hadn't happened but I did see it was in 2001 it's uh it, it's remarkable that that it had been that long um and that also yes that like it had been that long and you know what like it it feels right the Notre Dame's number one like that's just what they were able to do last year they they haven't been 11 and one to open a season since 2015 um and it, they almost immediately went south after going 11 and one in 2015 they, they had a fine season that year but they took a couple losses in a row um so assuming they win this tuesday against valpo in the home opener and they get to 12 and one it's gonna i'll have to go back to the to the notre dame record book and find out the last time they were 12 and one and um you know i it's uh it's an intriguing spot uh for notre dame to be this is not something that we've seen in a long time in college baseball paul maneri was the head coach the last time notre dame did this um you know the number one song in the country was all for you by Janet Jackson. Like, I mean, these are, it it has been quite some time, obviously, uh, but very well done uh, by Notre Dame to this point. Uh, They have yet to play a home game. I think that also cannot be overlooked as we, you know, debate resumes and just look at how good teams are or aren't right now. Notre Dame has not played a home game. Home opener is scheduled for Tuesday. They're on the road again this weekend at Louisville. Uh, It, this is just the reality of their, their early season, but they are, they are playing very well here out of the gate, despite all of the challenges that they faced and uh, certainly looking like, uh, you know, they're the reigning ACC champs and they're certainly looking like that they're capable of, of going out and winning another ACC title this spring. 
I love the the benchmark of like the what the number one song was in the country when things happen. Like I, I tend to roll my eyes sometimes at like the kind of trite uh, things that, that writers will use to kind of mark time. But that is one that I think in a normal situation, I would roll my eyes at. But maybe it's the way music can kind of like drive emotion and really take you back to a time and place. But like, uh, I actually kind of like that one. I don't know why. I, I really do think it is just like, I start thinking about what, like my relationship to that song and like what I was doing at that time and that time in my life. And uh, I, I like that one. And, and Janet Jackson's All For You, certainly a song that does take me uh, to a time and place. Are you ready for the number one movie in America? Uh, Ooh, yeah, that let's day? do that one. That one, you know, I'm not as big a movie. Well, I'm not, I wouldn't profess to be a huge music guy either, but I'm music more than movies. Not a big Yeah, so guy, I went with music it. for a reason because I literally don't even know anything about this movie. It's driven. Um, oh, the Sylvester Stallone racing Yeah, it's vehicle, a Sylvester right? yeah. Stallone racing movie. Yeah, it was number so, one for a week. <laughs> that, that's all it got. <laughs> they, uh, that is so funny that it's that movie because I have seen that movie. I remember watching it for the first time and it was that movie where I, I felt like no one was really talking about that movie. And I kind of liked racing as a kid, like less so now. I'm like the last guy in America who doesn't hasn't decided he really likes Formula One now. Um, after uh, the I'm there with you. JJ, yeah. uh, our, JJ Cooper, our boss, don't listen to this as we as we disparage F1. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure it's like I understand the appeal, but like it's just not for me. But like as a kid, like I was kind of intrigued by racing and especially particularly open wheel racing. And so like I like I actually liked the movie and then it wasn't until several years later they realized like oh most people weren't talking about that movie because it actually wasn't any good um but i didn't know any better because let's see in 2001 i was 13 years old and you know when you're 13 your bar is a little bit lower for what's quality and it had cool in my mind cool racing scenes and i liked some of the songs in the soundtrack and that's really all it took so it's funny that it's that movie because i might be the most equipped person in the world not named <laughs> sylvester stallone to have an opinion on that movie <laughs> That is uh, that that is quite interesting. Again, it is one that I uh, I got nothing on that one. That's why we didn't lead with the number one movie. That's why we led with the, the number one that's, song. Yeah, that's right. Janet Jackson. Everyone understands that. Yeah, I got I got that. I, I got nothing on Driven. Um, alrighty. So that's Notre Dame, and that was that was the big ACC series of the of the weekend. It was a top twenty five showdown in Raleigh, uh, but there was a lot of interesting ACC. Uh, action in in the slate beyond that series florida state went to wake forest uh they won the series they did it by winning a doubleheader on on sunday after losing the the opener on friday virginia went to duke won the series they um fall from the ranks of the unbeaten however as duke clipped them in the finale uva made a a strong late comeback but uh, duke was able to hold them off you also had Georgia Tech sweeping Virginia Tech in a, a slugfest. Boston College beat Miami on Friday night, and then Miami came back and, and won the series. UNC swept, uh, they swept Pitt, and uh, Clemson and Louisville were out of ACC action. Clemson notably won a series against Northeastern, but like Virginia, it falls from the ranks of the unbeaten as Northeastern clipped it on, on Sunday. Uh, that leaves Purdue as the last remaining undefeated team in the country at 14-0. and 0. Uh, And Louisville won a very strange series against Michigan. 
they played they tried to play a doubleheader on Friday, got caught in the snow in the, the second game, had to suspend that until Sunday. Uh, they split those first two games, and then Louisville came out and pretty handily won uh, the finale to, to claim the series. Uh, that's ahead of a, a really big series against Notre Dame that I'm sure we'll talk about more on Thursday. But Joe, from the, that ACC slate, uh, what what struck you? Yeah, a lot of a lot of different stuff. I mean, one the the, the business like approach that North Carolina took in, in sweeping Pitt, and you know, it's probably true that Pitt is not quite as good as they were last year when they were very nearly a, a postseason team, and in an alternate reality, was a host <laughs> last year. Remember that? Um, so. There is something to that, but, you know, it's a North Carolina team that didn't necessarily really do things like that last season, even against teams that should have done that against. So I, I was pretty impressed by that. Uh, Louisville is kind of doing like a little bit of a snake in the grass routine right now where like, don't look now, but they're kind of working their way back. Uh, and if I haven't done a full accounting of what has all kind of gone on there, I'll admit that after I saw them in Tampa, I kind of filed them away and, and haven't necessarily circled back on them yet, but also got a midweek. I mean, we could get into that because I did do a little bit of that in off the bat, but we also can save it. But the, the short version for Louisville is that uh, they're 11 and three. And up until this weekend, since Tampa, they had been tested. Uh, but this was a, this was a good weekend for them. And um, you know, they're hitting the ball really well. They need to find some more depth on the mound, but uh, Riley Phillips, um, and, uh, oh boy. Um, Tate, Tate Keener. Keener. Is that, is that yeah. it? Tate Keener? Uh, yeah. So those yeah, two guys, Keener, Keener, as if Tate like two Keener. are there. Yeah. Okay. Tate Keener. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they're, they're building blocks in that rotation. I think, um, you know, and I'll, I'll be interested to see how the rotation sets up you know, this weekend and the pitching staff in general is Jared Poland has also pitched really well and didn't start this weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll just see how they go, but I, they're, they're building some momentum here. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I will, I will circle back on Louisville. Obviously we'll talk about it probably leading up to the weekend. So, um, that is definitely interesting, uh, quickly on Wake Forest team is clearly better. Um, now I say that, and like, if you go back to last weekend or last season, I should say, they started their season off by being very competitive against Notre Dame. So, you know, we'll give it some time, but uh, played Florida state really, really well. And then on Clemson, you know, that's the team and we, we've talked about them quite a bit. Um, but I think that's the team that maybe has improved its standing just kind of in my eyes from preseason to now in the ACC more than anyone. North Carolina certainly is also in that mix, but their resume is pretty strong at this point when you consider that Northeastern is better than its record shows, because I don't know if you've noticed, we've also talked a lot of Northeastern because they've been playing good teams and they swept NC state, obviously. So that's a good team. They just won that series against them. Um, you know, they began their season sweeping Indiana. Okay. We can take or leave that. Not sure how good Indiana is, but also they won that they swept a series against South Carolina that now just beat Texas. And so, Again, too early to really draw too many conclusions from that, but I, I, I do get the sneaking suspicion that, that Clemson is, is a team that's just better, you know, uh, significantly better than we thought coming into the season. So I kind of continue to be impressed by them. So definitely some learning opening weekend of ACC, but as we kind of learned last year, um, you know, it is the ACC. So I expect some of these lessons that we think we've learned will be undone probably in short order. I am also intrigued by Clemson. They get Miami at home this weekend in their ACC opener. And uh, that series is one that, you know, it, it might be a little under the radar 
because uh, Miami doesn't have a number next to its name, but that's one that I'm going to be very interested in how it plays out. Uh, two other notes that, that stood out to me this weekend, Nate Savino uh, threw a shutout, five-hit shutout on Friday. Um, if you're looking for Virginia to be as good as we think they are coming into the season, and like the, our rankings reflect that and all the rest of that, if, if you're there, if, if, you're, if you're there with us or just wondering why we think that, uh, it's because we think that Nate Savino can be that kind of pitcher. And he showed it on Friday uh, at Duke. And, you know, that that, that would be a, a massive development for Virginia. It, it is a massive development that Savino has pitched as well as he has so far. But um, yeah, that 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 was a big, uh, a big start for him and for UVA to, to start ACC play. And the other one is that Florida State wins that series in Wake Forest. Um, and they did it losing on Friday. So they lost with, uh, with Parker Messick, the reigning ACC pitcher of the year, not having his best day. He didn't pitch badly necessarily. He just wasn't his day. Um, Ross Dunn was outstanding. Like of the, of the three Florida State starters, Ross Dunn is definitely the one that we have talked about the least and definitely has gone the least love anywhere, maybe outside the Dunn household. Um, but like when you have preseason All-Americans in Messick and Hubert pitching in front of him, like this is what happens, but Dunn, uh, was, was amazing in the finale. And if Florida state's going to have three legitimate, like high-end starters, uh, in the rotation, that is a, that's a big development still need to see more from them in other areas of the game. But I, I thought they pitched really well against what we think. I keep saying that Florida or that Wake Forest has a powerful offense. I don't know that we know that yet, but we think that's a pretty good offense that Florida State, uh, for the most part, shut down this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was an offense that, you know, Brock Wilkin kind of came on late in the weekend and did some things, but, you know, they, you know, they really did a nice job on him the first couple of days. And if you're looking for just like little windows into capabilities, you know, Florida State being able to do that against a guy who, who most people think is one of the better position players in the ACC and nationally, um, certainly that's a good sign. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, just quickly on Florida State, they uh, they play Florida on Tuesday. Obviously, that is, that is one of the, the highlights of the non-conference season. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking for midweek action Tuesday, uh, you got Florida State and Florida. Uh, all right, Joe, let's head out west. Uh, the Pac-12 is the other major conference that open conference play this weekend. And it was a pretty wild weekend. Um, there were five conference series. Four of them were won by the road team. Uh, that includes kind of expected results like Arizona going to Cal and winning, although the way they did it was not necessarily expected, and Oregon State going to Washington State and winning that series. Uh, it also included, though, um, Oregon going to Stanford and beating the Cardinal in the first two games. And two, it was, it was a series that was played in just a very intriguing way. Friday night was a, a pitcher's duel that Oregon wins four to three uh, back and forth late in that game. Stanford had pulled even at three in the bottom of the eighth inning. And then immediately in the ninth inning, Tanner Smith hits a leadoff home run to put Oregon back in front. And that proved to be the difference. Uh, it was a slugfest on Saturday that Oregon won 16 to 13 and then Stanford, uh, you know, salvaged the finale. Uh, so that was a, that was a crazy series. And then also uh, USC goes to UCLA and wins the, the rivalry series. 
for the first time in quite some time, th- this one uh, surprised me a little bit that USC had not won a series against the Bruins since 2015, but that's what they did this weekend. They go into Jackie Robinson stadium. It went on Friday night. UCLA comes back with uh, a, a big win on Saturday and then USC uh, went off and, and won six to three in the finale to clinch the series. And this one was the one that, that the home team won, but Utah beat UW in, in their series. I don't know what UW is right now. I pretty consistently think Washington is good. Um, they're a mystery right now. They weren't good last year. They hadn't played much of a – the schedule just hasn't lent itself to us learning a whole lot about the Huskies yet. But Utah is 11-3-1 now, and they won their first Pac-12 series since 2019, which is a little less impressive than it sounds when you consider that they didn't play in 2020. Uh, but still, they went. They did not win a Pac-12 series last year, and they just won their first one, um, first year for Gary Henderson. The Utes are something. Looking forward to learning more about them. Uh, Joe, I imagine we want to talk most about uh, Oregon and USC here. Where uh, Where do you want to start? I'm actually going to start with Utah. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> I am. I am. I am endlessly fascinated by this team. I shouldn't say endlessly. I am intrigued by this team. Yeah, I, I actually watched a decent amount of like their first game on, I guess it was set like Saturday was such a weird day. You and I talked about this offline that so many of the games were pushed off of Saturday, especially here on the East Coast. So there wasn't a lot happening necessarily. And what was happening was in the case of West Coast games later in the afternoon. So the early afternoon felt a little bit outside of Texas and South Carolina felt a little bit empty. And so I, you know, I, I tuned in for a little bit of Utah and Washington. I wrote about them in three strikes a couple of weeks ago. I think they're going to pitch. Um, you know, they've got Matthew Sox and Brandon Hoster, who are both, I think, pretty good, have a little bit of track record, are both kind of pro- fr- like fringy prospecty guys. So there's that. Also, like, I think we forget, like, Gary Henderson is good at this. You know, he took over in that just bizarre situation Mississippi State was in several years ago. Um, That's Andy where- Canizaro being fired after the first or resigning out. I don't precisely after the first weekend of the, the season, if, if you forgot that one. Yeah, indeed. If, yeah, if you need a refresher on that, I'm sure there is a blow by blow on, on some message board somewhere about the Andy Canizaro saga at Mississippi state early in that season. But, you know, he leads that team to Omaha and really kind of creates like this groundswell of support for him to get the full-time job, which I think we know now. And I think at the time even like knew that, well, that's probably not the best hire for Mississippi state, but he really put himself in the conversation with how well he managed that team. So and then his career at Kentucky, Kentucky, not a place that has a lot of consistent SEC success. He had some success there. So I think he's he kind of gets underrated for his ability. Um, and Utah is Utah. I did write in three strikes that it would just be a big step forward if Utah were to just make the Pac-12 tournament. Because recall, the Pac-12 was having one of those this year. They're taking the top eight teams. And if that sounds like too modest of a goal to set for Utah, consider that if the Pac-12 had had a tournament the entire time Utah has been in the league, they would have qualified for it twice. Um, and now we're going on like nine seasons or something. I, I don't have the number offhand, but they've been in the Pac-12 a while now. Um, so that is, to me, not too modest of a goal to just get into the Pac-12 tournament because it remains to be seen what Utah can be within the Pac-12. But I'm with you. Like, I think there's like a little something there. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I don't think they're continuing for the Pac-12 title. I'd love to be wrong on that because that would be wild. But 
but I do think it is a team that's kind of feisty. So anyway, uh, moving on from, from that for Stanford and Oregon, which is, I guess, where I, where I'd like to start here. Um, I guess I'm not too surprised that Oregon could do this, right? I mean, things have not gone perfectly for Oregon so far. You know, they, they lost a series to San Diego to begin the season. Adam Meyer, their prize transfer has been on the shelf. There's some question about his availability moving forward. So there are some things happening here. However, it's still, a I mean, they, they also, team. I should be said completely like reset the rotation this weekend, both because Meyer was unavailable and like poor performances. Like they, they went into this weekend, the very new look pitching staff. Indeed. So like things have not gone perfectly, but, but it's still, it's a team we predicted to be in the postseason. you know, at the beginning of the year, um, talented team, certainly have some nice pieces offensively, which we saw to me, what's more interesting here is that it does draw into question some of what I think we thought we knew about Stanford. And I think I don't want to take completely take away what they've done on the mound so far this season, but I think I had bought in pretty hard on the idea of like, well, Stanford's figured it out on the mound and there have been some big breakthroughs. It does appear that Drew Dowd is like a guy for them this year. You know, he pitched fairly well over the weekend. Um, you know, Alex Williams has been pretty steady, but you know, you got a, a relatively short start from Quinn Matthews and got hit around a little bit and the bullpen got beat up, you know, uh, Braden Montgomery, who's been excellent for the most part this year, got hit around for, for really the first time this season in his outing. So I do think it draws into question a little bit of, did we get a little bit over our skis on, on thinking that Stanford had kind of figured out the formula. Now it really just was the one game. Well, they did give up some, you know, they gave up a run late on the Tanner Smith home run and, you know, they still gave up six runs on Sunday. So it's not like it was shutouts all around otherwise, but it really, we are just talking about the one game. So I don't want to press the panic button a little too quickly on this, but that is something to monitor moving forward is, you know, is the answer somewhere in the middle, right? The pitching staff is maybe better than they were last year, which I think is reasonable, but maybe isn't quite as much improved as we thought when they shut out Arkansas, for example, or pitched well against Arkansas. Um, now, especially now that we know that Arkansas offense is not necessarily clicking on all the cylinders we thought they were going to coming into the season. Yeah, the 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 how far we pushed out the boats when they gave up one run in 24 innings in Round Rock now feels very much like a like okay like that was that was a bit of an overreaction. Uh, Quinn Matthews was outstanding that weekend. I believe he pitched against Arkansas. Uh, but he's also been got twice now. Fullerton got him on opening weekend and Oregon got him in a big way this last weekend. Um, so just they're lacking consistency there. They need to develop a bit more depth. It looks like I wasn't at round rock, but I know the hitting conditions were pretty abysmal given how cold it was. Uh, it seems like Stanford maybe took advantage of that a little bit. I, I think I still like, I mean, I, I know I still like the upside of this team, but yeah, the the questions that you had about the pitching staff coming into the season uh, that seemed to be a bit resolved uh, early on reared their ugly head again this last weekend. And, you know, Oregon is a good team. Oregon can hit Mark Wazikowski, you know, has a, a good track record of, of having good hitting teams. Uh, but it, it's still it's still not a great sign for Stanford that this happened at home 
against a team with as much mixed success this season as Oregon has had. Anytime it feels like Oregon's taking a step forward, it seems like they're taking a step back. And uh, they were dealing with the the Meyer news this week. It, it it was a tough spot for Oregon to be in, and they responded outstandingly. And I think you have to feel good about the Ducks. Uh, still waiting to hear how that pitching staff is going to come together moving forward. By the way, they didn't have the greatest weekend on the mound. They didn't have a bad weekend, but it wasn't a great weekend either. And they're going to need to pitch better uh, moving forward. But I, I think they have to feel very good having gone on the road and and won that series. But for Stanford now, uh, it is uh, it, it is a tough spot that they find themselves in and, you know, following yeah, it just in terms of the pitching staff and, and, and the fact that they still need to, to build some more depth out. Yeah, the other thing I'll say before we move on to USC and, and UCLA is I think the other thing with Stanford is that, you know, maybe we're also seeing, you know, offensively, um, they have had a couple of breakout stars, right? Like, so Brett Brer, Carter Graham, great starts to the season. Um, but I do, I do wonder if, like, we've seen with the Arizona offense, right, where I think we we feel pretty good about it. This is this is once again an elite offense. And oh, by the way, they haven't had Tony Bullard, who was thought to be one of the steadier guys in that lineup, was really hot last year in the postseason. They really haven't had him. And so I think we feel pretty good about this Arizona offense. We know what this offense is. It's again like a, a top, top flight offense. And like Stanford maybe isn't that. And like that's not, I'm not trying to cut that down necessarily. I still think it's a very, very good offense. But if we're drawing kind of, you know, if we're, if we're picking nits between the the top teams in the Pac-12, like I do think that's an area where yeah, I think Arizona is a little bit better there. And so as we start to evaluate these teams in the conference, I do think that's an area where at this point I'm giving the advantage to Arizona, which is not necessarily to say I've been underwhelmed by Stanford, but, you know, Arizona has just been, I think, a cut above when we talk about the best offenses in that league. Well, well here's the difference is that Tommy Troy and Brock Jones, who – theoretically should be really the best two players on the Stanford offense are, you know, Brock Jones has a 771 OPS and his on-base percentage is doing most of that work. He's on base of 438, which is great. Like 15 walks uh, on the season. He's walking more than once a game, uh, but he only has three extra base hits. He doesn't have a home run. Like that is not the player that I signed up for when I picked him to be the national player of the year. Uh, They need Brock Jones to, to get going and Tommy Troy, who was very good as a freshman, went up to the Cape, played really well, has a lot of pedigree. He's hitting 244, 300, 311, and like he has five stolen bases, and that that's great. Uh, but it, it, nothing else is working for Tommy Troy right now. Um, so they, they their stars aren't clicking, and I think that that's obviously a big you can look at that as a, as a big positive for Stanford. Like, eh, if those two guys just get going, like, you know, then the offense will click in and it doesn't really matter whether the pitching staff is, is taking a big step forward or not, because like, Hey, this offense still has that potential, but on the flip side of it is like, those guys aren't doing it yet. And we're now four weeks into the season. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing too, is like, we're, we're starting to get to the point of the season where, you start to lose a little bit of the benefit of saying like, well, it's, it's still early. And, and there are like versions of that where they make some sense because a guy like I, you know, I've talked to early in the season, Monty Lee about Caden Grice and he's hit some home runs, but he's still hitting like 250 or something. And 
he was like, yeah, we just, he didn't play in the fall. So he's a little bit behind. And so there are instances like that. Um, and we don't know all of those instances. Right. But um, we are getting to the point of the season though, where you do start to have to like cast a doubtful eye in some places, which is not the same thing as me. <laughs> I would never doubt a Brock Jones. Uh, I'm a big fan as well, but um, just generally we are at a point where you, you, you are no longer kind of able to look at it as just like, assuming someone will come around and be something they haven't shown us they are so far. Yeah. I mean, we are now like a quarter of the se- quarter yeah. of the way into the season, a little yeah. less than a quarter of the way, uh, but we're about a quarter of the way into the season. And yeah, I mean, a 14 game sample size in the middle of the season, isn't that, you know, okay. Like guys go through skids and slumps and all the rest of it, but, and I'm not even here to say Brock Jones is slumping again. The dude is clearly getting pitched around, but like you, you do at some point have to be the the difference maker, and you know that that's what Stanford's waiting for right now. Uh, what they're they're hoping for still, and and I'm sure they'll get eventually. But that is that is something that needs to to change. In addition to again, a little more consistency from the pitching staff. Uh, so UCLA came in into the week. We were feeling really good about them uh, and the Baby Bruins after what they did. In the Shriners College Classic, particularly what they did to close it out, beating Texas, uh, and they got hit pretty hard by USC. Um, and I don't mean like the, the pitching staff got batted around. I just mean that USC came in and and uh, you know this is a rivalry that John Savage has dominated, just absolutely dominated throughout his career. And USC said not this year. And they did it in an intriguing way, Joe. They got USC did to UCLA starting pitching on Friday and, and Sunday. They got to Jake Brooks and they got to Kelly Austin. And I don't know that that's a repeat. Like, I don't think that we just saw a formula for how you beat UCLA this year, because I don't know how often that's going to happen, but it happened for USC. And USC was a team that came into the, the, the weekend. They were like nine and two, but it was a, it was an empty nine and two. They hadn't played a team with a winning record since opening weekend. And the team that they played was Santa Clara, which is a perfectly solid West coast conference team, but it's not like they had, you know, I, I don't know how good Santa Clara is. You know, it's not like they had gone out and, and beaten some, some regional team from a year ago. It was, it was a nice win, but a nice series win, but, but we didn't know a whole lot about USC. They, they sure seemed to prove something this weekend. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, I think it showed that, I think it showed that USC is ready to, ready to compete in series like this against teams like UCLA, which is not, in recent history for USC has not necessarily been a given. I don't know, I feel less confident in this series, though, understanding what we're necessarily looking at, right? Because when you really break it down, it is true, they got to Jake Brooks and got to Kelly Austin. They got to them in one inning each and that's good. Like I'm not like big innings are how you win games. Like, so it also like they got to them early. Like it's the first inning in one game and the second inning in another game. And then those guys settled down and that's, uh, you see that with starters. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that that can cut both ways, right? Like the positive spin of that is like big innings is how you win games. And um, they really rode those big innings to victories. And the, the other side of it is like, well, it wasn't necessarily sustained success for the offense throughout the weekend. It was just these like short outbursts offensively. So, and it should be said that they got worked on Saturday for sure. Yeah. 
And by, by the way, like this is like just a little detail that like is really kind of tangential. But like one thing UCLA does really well, I feel like, is like I noticed on Jake in Jake Brooks's start, like he gave up those four runs in the second inning. He pitched seven innings. Like UCLA, I think does a really good job, and we shouldn't be surprised because they do a good job of pitchers of understanding. Okay, this guy's getting hit, but he's still our best guy right now. When I think a lot of other teams are are quicker, and like this is valid too. Like th- those guys know better than I do, but a lot of teams are quick to just be like, nah, "Not his day." Moving on. Um, I think UCLA has a really good feeling for their pitchers and understanding, like that. Yes, he's given up runs, but he is still our best option right this minute. And so I think that showed in that situation. But that's again just a tangential thought I had. But what I do like from UCLA, I mean, first of all, they do have some electric position player talents, like. DeAndre Smith and Tyrese Turner are like a really underrated middle infield duo. I feel like, um, you know, those are two guys who really haven't had a lot of a chance to shine. And I think that's been pandemic and PAC 12 related, if I can put it that way. I mean, 2020 season being what it was, then also the fact that those guys played in a, first of all, for a PAC 12 team that wasn't all that relevant last year. And also the PAC 12 being a league that kind of is a little more hidden unless you really make a, a deep postseason run. So those guys. Yeah, are, let's are, talk about the Pac-12 network. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get back into this. I am a consumer now. I can. I'm actually interacting with the product now, and um, I'm pretty satisfied. I just like that. It, I guess it's less that I have actual like takes on the product, and more that I'm just glad I have it now. And it was nice to be able to watch USC and UCLA like in living color. And Ten, tangentially, quickly, and I promise not to turn this into me on the Pac-12 network again, but like this was, this series was on Pac-12 network all, all weekend. And that means I didn't get to see it. Joe has Pac-12 network. I don't, um, I got Longhorn network. He doesn't, uh, the, but, but they scheduled the third game, like, and basically it's counter programming to the selection show. Every other, I, I assume that the ACC and the SEC network were showing some sort of, uh, you know, uh, related to the basketball selection shows, uh, the Pac-12 was like, nah, we'll just put this, this baseball game on. It's fine. Yeah, that was a, yeah. It was a decision. I mean, on like a, the funny thing about it is too, is on like a normal Sunday, that would have been kind of like, I guess it wouldn't matter for you because you couldn't have seen it, but like just generally having a game on at that time, that was like six Eastern on a Sunday would be kind of nice because by then most everything is usually wrapped up, but like on this particular Sunday, we did not need it (laughs) because there was so much going on. Like at even as late as like eight o'clock, there were still several top 25 games going on and a bunch of other stuff outside of that. Um, But yeah, it was, it was a kind of an interesting, interesting choice there to be sure. I I mean, there is also the gripe with the PAC 12 where like I downloaded the the app on my TV for Pac-12 Now, and basically all it wants you to do is open the Pac-12 Now app on your phone, pull up a stream, and then cast it to your TV. Now, that could be because I have an older smart TV. I do. The thing's like four or five years old now. But um, I was like, that's less than ideal. I kind of thought I could just pull the streams up from the app on the TV, but I guess not. Uh, regardless, I do have Pac-12 Network now. And update, I also do have Longhorn Network. I just didn't know. Oh. Um, Sling TV coming through, but uh, I just haven't watched it much because, you know, uh, when Texas has been at home, I've been other places or I've been seeing Texas live. So um, haven't had a chance to interface with that very much. It's been a while since I've had LHN, but uh, I do have that one as well. So um, where where were we? Um, 
USC intriguing team. DeAndre yeah. Smith mm-hmm. not getting the love that that they got, or if he sh- maybe should have gotten a year ago. Yeah, he and Tyrese Turner just kind of a fun middle infield duo. I think where the the most positive thing is though, and and who knows how much to read into it against a, a young UCLA lineup that I you know I wrote about it in Houston, like showed signs of progress, but also scored one run on a solo home run by the way against Baylor to open that weekend so like not exactly an offense that's that's you know is proofed against you know having stinkers yeah they're they're not clicked in like they scored 11 runs on saturday i guess but would pretty well shut down the other two games it's uh very up and down and with so many young players not to be unexpected indeed but that being said you know, USC is without Isaac Esqueda right now, although I did hear on the broadcast on Friday, Jason Gill, USC's coach, say that they expect him back in about three weeks, he said. So it does sound like he's coming back. So that is good news there. But without him, they pitched pretty well. Jaden Agassi was just okay. But I, I like what I saw from Tyler Stromsborg. Charlie Hurley had a really good start. So it does feel like they do have some arms that are going to keep them in games. Um, we have them ranked right now, um, understandably so. Um, there were just also some slots to fill in the top 25. Let's be frank. I still think I, I still think I like long-term UCLA this season. The talent for UCLA is just so good. I still think come May, I'm going to like UCLA more than I do USC. But for right now, you know, I think USC's got a team that's just a little further along in what it's going to be. And that's what we saw over the weekend. Yeah, USC is number 25. That's the first time USC has been ranked since the preseason of 2016. Uh, there was a lot of debate into what we were going to do with UCLA and USC, and ultimately, I just, we decided that uh, look, USC won this series in Westwood. I we we need to have them and not UCLA if we're going to have any of them, and and ultimately we landed on including USC at number twenty-five. Uh, quick trivia time, Joe. Uh, USC fell out of the top twenty-five there pretty quick in twenty sixteen. Do you remember why? Ooh. Um, do they lose a series to Santa Clara? It was North Dakota in what turned out to be North Dakota's final uh, season. They cut the program later that year, but uh, North Dakota went out to USC and and won a series on opening weekend. I do remember that. I'm glad you brought that up. I do. I absolutely 100% do remember that because then I think North Dakota went and played, I think, Alabama pretty well, like that following weekend. And it was like, oh, okay, this North Dakota team. They had a pitcher whose name was Zach Muckenhern. That's I'm I glad you remember the first name because all I got was Muckenhern. Like that that yeah. definitely has stuck with me. But Zach Muckenhern. I feel like they also had a guy or two that transferred to like bigger places. Didn't LSU have a guy for a while? No, I'm thinking of Akron. And Akron yeah, that was Akron. Program. What uh, North Dakota did have was if they had kept the program one more year, they had Matt oh, yeah. Walner committed and Jake Adams. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Can you imagine that offense? Like Matt Walner and Jake Adams, like facing like low major pitching, like my goodness, like they might've yeah. had 35 home runs apiece. Cake Adams, as he came to be known, uh, hit what, like, I think he hit 20 home runs one year in the big 10. Like I, he would have, he would have absolutely destroyed like whack pitching. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of a summit league, whatever, whatever league that was. <laughs> yeah. I think like that, that's the thing is that, like who knows, but the real shame, I mean, it's obviously a shame that any program gets cut, but like that one was actually probably on the precipice of something (laughs) like given how good, how well they played winning a series against USC playing other teams. Well, and then what they had. Muckenhern was like a top 
10 to 15 round draft that year. Like, yeah, it was things were happening there. Yeah, like they were they were clearly actually getting things done. And, and yeah, had the rug had the rug pulled, which unfortunately we've, we've become all too accustomed to. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So that those were a lot of the top headlines. Uh, otherwise, Gonzaga uh, went to play Long Beach State and uh, the Dirtbags won the series. That was a really entertaining series. Uh, the finale was a one to nothing game that Long Beach State walked off with. Uh, it was zero to zero for the longest time there. Um, the Zags still feel I feel good about where they are. Like, yeah, they lost a, a series but they lost a tough series on the road like whatever um if you look at what they've accumulated to this point and the fact that they again have yet to play a home game and aren't scheduled to play one anytime soon like they're they're still out there piling compiling big significant wins uh for the dirtbags this was a this was kind of a get right series um they they got a really big offensive day uh, on, on Saturday showed that they can pitch with a really good team. That is Gonzaga. They did it without Luis Ramirez this weekend. Uh, he's slated to return uh, next week against Hawaii. Um, we'll, uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on that, but uh, they're back to 500 now, which is, is significant. And, and it feels like they've arrested the, the slide that they were on when they lost six in a row there after winning the first two at Mississippi State. Dallas Baptist uh, beat Southern Miss. They swept Southern Miss, I should say, at home. And that's another team that it feels like has arrested its early season slide. They lost three of their first four, but really have righted the ship and are now nine and six. Um, Tulane uh, kind of did the opposite. They crashed pretty hard this week after uh, last week beating Mississippi State. Uh, They were they were swept at home by Evansville and that's going to leave a mark on the RPI all season long, unless Evansville really turns things around. Uh, Joe, anything else? Uh, all right. Liberty split with Campbell. I uh, should mention that a- anything else stand out for you across the country. Uh, did you mention, and pardon me because I, I was, well, for, I was doing a number of things in the background. Okay? First <laughs> of all, <laughs> I was, I was looking to see how far away like Dado field is from Jackie Robinson stadium at, at at um, UCLA, just because there was always the joke of like, that's a, that's a technically road game for USC. And it probably felt like a road game because it might've taken them two and a half hours to drive there. Probably did not take them that long. Currently though, I mean, that's 11 miles away and currently in LA traffic, which doesn't look too bad right now. Cause it's, you know, basically noon on a Monday on the East coast. So 9am on the West uh, coast. It's the rush hour um, though. Like, it, yeah. I mean, it said it was going to take 32 minutes to make it 11 miles, which doesn't, that's not too bad actually. Um, I definitely, when I was in LA, I definitely had stretches that were much worse than that. So um, anyway, so I was trying to prepare that joke. It didn't really, it kind of fell through. And then I was, you know, catching up on like Long Beach State, like in terms of what I was going to say about Long Beach State, I guess, is that they, like right now, it's hard to know what to make of them. And they're just seven and seven overall. And, um, you know, the Sacramento State deal was weird. Um, But I think what we can say though, is they've done enough work in the non-conference now that if they are as good as, as we think they, that we think they could be like, I think it's still a team that's in position to be an at-large club if they need it. I, I agree with that because Mississippi state, we don't know exactly what they are, but even bad SEC teams have good RPIs and Mississippi right. state, we don't think is a bad SEC team. So they should have a great RPI. 
Um, and Gonzaga is going to have a good RPI just the way that they've scheduled and played so far. So you, you do have four wins against those two teams and two of those are road wins and, and the big West isn't going to be awful to your RPI. Like, and actually right now, if you look at it, big West has some good RPI teams. I've been very down privately on the big West just because, you know, Long Beach state went through that skid and Irvine missed an opportunity. Santa Barbara missed an opportunity here or there. Cal Poly hasn't been, you know, anything special despite having some superstars. And, uh, but if you look at it, some of those teams are compiling decent RPIs. And, and so, yeah, if Long Beach state is, is the team that they should be that, that they were thought to be in the preseason, I, I think that they can, uh, you know, pretty, pretty comfortably still be an, an, an at-large team. Yeah. I mean, you can't go 500 in the big West, but as long as they do what, we think they can do in the big West. That's a team that still set itself up to be, to be a postseason team. Uh, what I was going to ask you though, is if you talked about Purdue. I did not. Uh, we, we have briefly mentioned Purdue back when uh, I mentioned that Clemson and Virginia lost. And now Purdue is the, the lone uh, remaining undefeated team in the country at 14 and 0. Yeah. It's um, you know, undefeated is undefeated. The schedule, it should be said has not been good. Uh, they do have one against Less Charlotte. Less than good. It has been, it has been bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it has. It has not 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 been very good. And so, one of those fourteen games has been played against a team with a winning record. It is Charlotte. Like that's a nice thing, but one of fourteen games against a team with a winning record. Indeed, you know, it has mostly been on the road, like or I guess neutral sites. Like okay, um, so that's good. So I think we can comfortably say we can say for sure the last undefeated team in college baseball, Division One college baseball, anyway. I think we can also pretty confidently say Purdue is better. Previous Purdue teams probably would have found a way to lose some of these games along the way. So I think Purdue is better. I like Jackson Smeltz, the front of the rotation, left-hander, good stuff. Numbers are really, really good so far. I think he's a real guy. Um, They've got some good offensive pieces. So I think this team is better. How much better? And if they are a potential postseason team out of the Big Ten, I think is very much still an open question, but they deserve kudos for being being where they are. We talked about them in the top 25. Just I think we're going to need to see them play someone that we're a little more confident in being a good team before we we jump in on them. Yeah, it's a challenging thing to know. Like these, uh, the last undefeated team, assuming it's not a team that you expected to be good coming into the year or that you were ranking in the top 25 to begin with, it's a challenge. Uh, every single year, it's a challenge because the zero, you want it to mean something like your, your brain is conditioned for it to mean something. But again, Purdue has played the one of the worst schedule. If you look at strength of schedule right now, it is bottom 40, bottom 30, maybe in the country. And I don't know how much confidence I have in that metric yet, but it's I everything says it's a bad schedule. Uh, you can look at it and understand it's a bad schedule. And like, I, I'm not here to really complain about Purdue playing the schedule at all. They went 16 and 26 last year. Um, like they're trying to build some momentum here. Like I get it. Uh, but okay. They're 14 and zero, and that I, much respect to that. You know, who's 12 and one right now is Southeast Missouri state. And that one is a loss at DBU in a series that they won. So the rest of CMO's schedule, not great either, but like they went out and won a series on the road at DBU, which is significantly better than anything Purdue has done. CMO has one loss. Like why, why is, why is zero so much bigger than the one there? And, you know, I, I, I did that with CMO that's off the top of my head. Like 
I we jokingly looked at SEMO last night because uh, I, I I was doing some DBU research and you know noticed that hey SEMO still hasn't lost since uh, since they 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 lost in that that finale against DBU you know SEMO could be undefeated right now and and then we'd be talking about them too and I, you know they're not I get it all the rest of that but I guess the, the the point here is that yes Purdue is undefeated. Yes, we talked about them for the top 25. They're not ranked, though, because there are still very good one-loss teams out there that are not really even in the conversation at all. And so while winning every single one of your games is certainly better than winning all but one, uh, the zero at this point just the, between the schedule that they played and the fact that there are really good like one-loss teams out there, it, it, it just didn't feel like it was produced time. Agreed. And, you know, they, they take a nice little step up. It's not a huge leap, but, but a nice step up this weekend playing four games, like a four game split home and home with Illinois State, two games in normal Thursday, Friday, two games in West Lafayette, Saturday, Sunday. And Illinois let's State not overlook Dayton in the midweek. Dayton, Dayton off to a nice sure. start as well. Yeah, for sure. So a five game week this week that is going to push them in a way they haven't been pushed so far. And so, you know, Purdue could go four and one or three and two this week. And I might be more impressed with that than I have anything so far this season as a way to show that the Purdue is a little bit better. Um, yeah. Unique weekend this weekend, but the connection there, Steve Holm and Wally Kranzer who are on staff at Illinois state were at Purdue under Mark Wazikowski uh, went with those best of those Purdue teams under Waz. So um, there is a, a connection there, which is probably part of the reason they're doing this type of setup. Related to Purdue, um, Purdue is now, like I mentioned, they won 16 games last year. They could this week match their their win total from last season. Uh, this is definitely under the radar. Uh, I can't believe Joe isn't bringing that. I'm the one bringing this up and that Joe isn't. Not that I'm not saying, Joe, this should have been on your radar. It's just, this is a very Joe kind of note here. Jacksonville swept FIU this weekend. And... Uh, Ju, you might remember they won the A Sun tournament last year. They got into the field um, with like sixteen wins. They were like sixteen and thirty-four or something last year going into the NCAA tournament, and they get Three in because they in the A Sun. Yeah, they, they went through this <laughs> crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy A Sun tournament run. Uh, Ju has totally flipped the script on that. They, they had eleven wins going into the A Sun tournament last year. They they've completely flipped the script on that in from from 2021 they're now 11 and 5 this year they swept FIU this weekend they won in 20 innings on uh on Sunday to finish the sweep they also have a win against Florida State they won a series against Troy they only lost one to nothing on to Florida on Tuesday um I don't I like I would need to dig into JU more but the way they're playing right now especially the way they're pitching I think they can challenge in the A Sun. Like Liberty is great. And what we've seen from Liberty is, is really impressive. But JU might be a decent foil uh, to the Flames there. And at minimum, like they are what the, the turnaround that they're showing is is amazing. They've already won as many regular season games as they did a year ago. Yeah, they were a weird when I previewed the A Sun, they were a weird team for me because what I mean, what do you do with a team that, you know, going into last year was pretty veteran. And so I think I predicted them, you know, certainly top half of the A-Sun. And then they were not good and really struggled in A-Sun play. And they get hot and go to a regional. Okay, so that tends to, 
that should be a positive indicator for what they could be in 2022. But oh, by the way, they were a veteran team last year. So they lost most of their contributors. So it was like a new team this year. Um, you know, offensively, they were, I think the main returner they had was Christian Koipel, who is hitting 175 right now. Like he has four home runs. So I guess there, there's that. But like it was an offense last year that I think going into this year, they'd lost everyone offensively who hit more than one home run last year or something like that. And they weren't, you know, a power uh, oriented team. So that wasn't part of their game, but it just goes to show that how much they were rebuilding. So I had no idea what to do with this team coming into the season. I think I predicted them pretty low in the A-Sun, frankly. Um, but here they are. I think you're right. I mean, I think this is a, a team that has clearly taken a step forward and, and we'll have to see. I mean, JU kind of does this. They, they probably get underrated a little bit for, for how consistent they are in the A-Sun. And so it kind of stands to reason, if nothing else, that if you, even if you just throw away the getting hot at the right time in the A-Sun tournament, even if you, you kind of set that aside, like, coming off of a season when they struggled as much as they did last year, it does stand to reason they would be better this year because this is not a program that typically has long extended stretches of, of being down. All right. That's going to do it for us wrapping up week four here on the baseball America college podcast, a lot of action around the country. It was, it was a fun weekend. Uh, it was a very weather affected weekend, but it wound up being a fun weekend. Nonetheless, Hopefully we got some better weather this week, some really intriguing midweek matchups on tap, uh, and then a great slate of games coming up this weekend. More conferences are getting into uh, into conference play this weekend, most notably, of course, the SEC. Uh, but there's a soft Big 12 opening uh, with, with one series. Uh, conference USA is getting into conference play. There, there, there's a lot more going on this weekend, so another Another fun week of college baseball on tap. We'll have it all covered for you over at baseballamerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we will be back here on Thursday with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast, previewing uh, week five and uh, talking about whatever comes up here uh, in the midweek here in week four. And I now realize uh, there was a coaching change over the weekend. San Francisco fired Neo Girarello. Uh, Jim Tano after um, allegations of misconduct, uh, new allegations of misconduct came to light in uh, in a lawsuit that was filed last week. Uh, he had previously been investigated and publicly reprimanded uh, in the fall. Reprimand happened in January, but new allegations in the lawsuit combined with some other stuff led to uh, led to the firing. I guess we'll get into that on Thursday, Joe, because we're not going to do it now. <laughs> hopefully we'll have a little bit more information then so anyway uh make sure you subscribe to the baseball america college podcast on your favorite podcasting app stitcher spotify apple podcast wherever you find your podcasts you can find us uh hit that follow button and we'll pop back into your phone on thursday as we go twice a week during the college season thank you all for listening for joe i'm teddy we'll talk to you next time Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.